0: And uh, so, when I was doing the sermon, I thought of that song. I said, I'm going to play it for you, because it goes right along with what Jesus was saying. Now, I want to, uh, today we're going to talk about another parable, and you learned last week that the parable, parables mean parallel, and uh, that they uh, are usually a, a number of meanings to it. So, when I'm talking about a parable today, you're going to, uh, on uh, the wedding banquet, or the great banquet, I guarantee that what I'm going to say is going to affect everyone in here. I guarantee it. Because parables are stories that Jesus gives that can have a lot of meanings and a lot of lessons behind it. And uh, and so today we're going to look at one. The primary th- primary thing we're going to look at are excuses. But I want you to know that you might be dealing with something else and uh, the Holy Spirit might speak with you there. Please understand this. And I'm going to say this very bluntly and very loudly. I never, ever, ever preach a sermon, or make statements from the pulpit with someone in mind. Never do I do that. In fact, I'll be up here preaching and I'll see somebody in the audience and I'll literally change it. Because I don't want to ever be accused of that. Because my purpose is to bring God's word, not to use the pulpit as a, as a weapon. So really, if I ever say something, and you say, well, he's preaching right at me. No, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing it, because as I said, I never, ever do that. A couple reasons is, I believe that's an abusive power of the pulpit. And the second one is, if I do have someone in mind, they don't show up that Sunday anyway. I guarantee it. When I was a younger pastor, oh, this could really help Dave over here. And, And, well, they're not there that Sunday. So, please understand when I say this. Uh, I'm very serious about that, and I, I hold that very, very. I am very strong about that. So, if something is said, it's usually because the Holy Spirit is is working in your life. So, we're going to talk about the great banquet today. Now, if you remember when I t- when i talked about uh, st- uh, Bible study and studying God's word, you have to find out what the. Uh, what the context of what was being said is being said. Meaning, you just cannot look at just one little statement that Jesus made and make a whole sermon out of it. you got to find out why he said it, what was going on, and everything else, and it brings what's called context. Uh, an example I always give is, it's like the news media today. You know what I mean? They find one word, that one statement that somebody made... And they'll go nuts over it and say, you see, he said this. And they never say, well, the context of it was this. They don't care about that. That's one reason why I don't listen to the news much. I'll read it. I'll read what happens and I'll study it that way. But network news, I'm done. Conservative, liberal, MSNBC, Fox News, I'm done with them. I'm done. I'll give you an example. Do you know that the majority of Ohioans believe in abortion? A majority of Ohioans believe that a woman has a right to an abortion. About 57%. Do you know that? Now let's let's dissect that a little more. If you say, if you ask the question, should you use abortion as birth control, the majority of Ohioans say no. Absolutely not. However, if you and the reason why you say 57% say they are in favor is because in their mind they're saying, "Well, what about a woman's life being in danger?" See what I'm saying? They never bring that out. What they bring out is what they want to project. Um, or you know, life of a mother, or uh, the health of the mother, or something like that they ne- they never bring that into the question. It's always, do you think it should be? Well, it needs to be, but you better not use it as a form of birth control. You see what I'm saying? And so that's why context is so important. One reason why the news media—I I lost with them a couple years ago—and when I do watch it, I get disgusted anyway. So okay, it does tell me that Jesus is coming back soon. And we better be ready. When I'm looking at that stuff, I go, oh my goodness. Okay, so go to Luke chapter 14. Okay, here's, here's the context of why Jesus said what he said. Here we go. Luke chapter 14. On a Sabbath, meaning Saturday, not Sunday, Saturday. Sabbath is important. Because for the Jewish person, you are to do nothing on the Sabbath but focus on God. You were not to work, you were not to do anything that uh, would be considered working. So you, if you lost your sandal, you leave it on the ground, you're not supposed to do any work. But I find it interesting, on the Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Wait a minute. If he's eating in the house, somebody had to there. cook. Somebody had to work. Or even just bring it to them is a form of work. How we you like to justify? Well, it's okay, but not in this situation. I and mean, you're not supposed to do this, but you know, this situation changes a little bit. Okay. On the Sabbath, when Jesus went to the house of a Pharisee, I don't know why I should be doing this up here. On the Sabbath, when Jesus went to the house of a prominent Pharisee, he, Jesus was being carefully watched, meaning that the Pharisees were looking for excuses to, go, to get uh, at Jesus because they didn't like him because he was teaching against what they wanted. There was in front of him was a man with abno- uh, suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. What was swelling? We don't know. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, if they were honest, they would say no. But they remained quiet. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. Now they're surprised. how could he do that? Why would he do that? This is the Sabbath and the day of the life of God and everything else. Then he asked them, if one of you had a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they said nothing. Let me bring it up to modern day. You're going home on 127, you come up upon an accident. I'm sorry, well done, you were, I'm sorry, you're trapped in the car, it's burning. I know it is, but hopefully it doesn't burn up until tomorrow, because tomorrow I can come and help you. I hope you're okay, because today's the Sabbath, it belongs to God, and there's nothing I can do to help you, That's I'm going to go, and hopefully you're okay. You know, maybe, maybe a Seventh-day Adventist will come, because they worshipped yesterday, maybe they'll come and help you. Now if it was your son, are you are you gonna get him out? You better believe it. If it's your neighbor, are you gonna help him? You better believe it. If it's your ox, well, it's your tractor is burning up. I mean, literally, it was so restrictive that you couldn't even lift up a phone if they had a phone back then. You couldn't lift up a phone and call 911. So your tractor's burning up, your car's burning up, your house is burning up. You're gonna dial 911. I think about that and remember about a year ago. Uh, there was a big fire in the church. You know, some, there was a fire. It was on a Sunday. Now, if it let's be honest, the Pharisee would have said, "Mendon Fire Department, you couldn't, have, you shouldn't have went to it." And maybe it would have burned down the other building, but that was an act of God. Don't worry about it. See, see the mentality that they had at the time. But they said nothing because they know he were trapped. Then Jesus. made a comment during this meal. And he said, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a lunch and dinner, because remember, this is a great banquet. I'm sorry, I'm back up. I'm getting confused here. This is a prominent meal. So they invited uh, the prominent leaders of the area. It kind of reminds me of uh, Hollywood, you know, uh, when they have all these award shows. You know, you have, they have these parties and everything else, and all this stuff's going on in Hollywood. They're going down the red carpet, so it's a prominent people, uh, produce prominent people that they come, and they did not got to be looking at looking at me and look how great I am. So here you have, they're at a dinner, and then Jesus makes this comment: says, "When you give a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or rich, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back to repay you." But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed, although you cannot, they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. So Jesus is saying, the stuff you do, we kind of long, preached a couple of weeks ago, is the stuff you do, do it for the glory of God, don't do it to be seen. Right? Do it for the glory of God. Don't do it to be seen. And he specifically uses a group of people. I'm going to back up here. Because I want you to see it. He says, when you go to the, and boy, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Why is he saying that? Because in the Jewish mind, if you are poor, crippled, lame, or blind, it's because God's curse was against you. Someone did something in your family or God was against you. For some reason. I mean, remember that statement that some of the people asked Jesus at that one point to a blind man, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? See that? See the context we're getting at. So he specifically used these people to bring out the fact that the Pharisees would say, well, they deserved it. We shouldn't invite them to our house because they deserve the life that they have. Okay? Then somebody made a comment. Go next verse. Okay. When one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Why did he say that? We don't know. Some people think it was a toast. You know? It kind of sounds like a toast. Blessed is the one who's going to eat at the kingdom of God at the great feast. You know? I think it was this. Jesus just insulted them And now he's gone, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm one of God's chosen. And he made that very well known. Blessed is me, the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus did something very interesting. He stopped at that point. He did not chastise that man, but he shared a story. He shared a parable. Parables were very, very powerful tools to uh, illustrate a point and also to confront people. See, when you go up to somebody and you'll say, "Hey, you did this wrong. Don't do it again." A wall immediately goes up. So Jesus used a parable to kind of trap the person. Uh, a good example of that is found in the Old Testament, Second Samuel chapter twelve, I believe, is when yeah, Second Samuel chapter twelve is when Nathan the prophet went up to Jesus, uh, went up to David and confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba. If you remember, he saw a woman on the roof, he brought her into his house, had a sexual relations with her, she got pregnant, and then uh, Uriah was her husband, found out she was married, and then, how am I going to hide this? Eventually, got to the point where he killed Uriah to cover up his sin. And Nathan came to him, instead of saying, why did you do that, David? You know God's against you. This is how he trapped David. Says now, he went up to King David, and he says, Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man ref, refrained from taking, I'm sorry, back up. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one new lamb that he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him he and his children, it shared his food, drank his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler to come. Instead, he took the ewe, stole the ewe, essentially, from the one that belongs to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Notice what happened. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die? He must pay, pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan looked at David and said, "You are the man." Knife at oh! all. He used the story to trap David to get the truth across. See, that's the power of parable. So verse 16, Jesus says, Jesus replied, he's now in his parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Great is the word here. A great banquet. If you go to Matthew chapter 22, it was a wedding feast. Now all of us who've ever prepared a wedding feast know what I'm talking about. We try to make it as best we can within our budgets and everything else. Some people even go further and beyond their budget. But you want to make it nice. You want to make it good. You want to feed the people. You want to make sure they're happy there. And so this man prepared a great banquet with many guests. Um, okay. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. At a wedding feast back then, you did not know the day of the wedding because the husband-to-be... Would go back to the family compound, which is called the insula, and in my father's house of many rooms. He would build a room onto the insula, onto the compound. When that room was ready, and he had the finances ready for his wife, he then would go and get her. They didn't know the day, or nor the hour. Thus, you have the parable of the ten virgins that did not know the date or the hour when the wedding feast was happening. And when it happened, you then went out, and all the guests came in. And then you brought the bride in, and then you had the wedding ceremony. A little bit different than what we do today. So it was time. It was time. He had killed the fatted calf. He had killed uh, the animal. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 22, it says, "My oxen and fatted cattle, not calf, cattle." So it was a number of cattle that were being killed. I don't know how much of cows work today or steers work today when you butcher it, but. May understand, it was many of them. So, he had prepared it, he got it all ready to get the wedding going. He invited his friends, his attendees, the influencers, all those, they were, he invited them, and it came time to happen, and they had excuses. And Jesus gave very lame excuses in the parable. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. All right. What was wrong with that statement? I would have it before we ever bought it. What? I would have before we ever bought it. Ta-da! How many of you bought land and never saw it? <laughs> I did, by the way. Actually, my kids bought me. I got... I got uh, I think it was one inch or one foot in some park in Ireland. Uh, So that's why you see on my Facebook, Sir Darwin Dunton, because now, because I own in Ireland, I can be a sir. So don't call me pastor or ever call me sir. Oh, you guys got that. Okay. All right. So I bought a field. Normally, if you buy something, you go look at it first. So, what are you going to do? I now have to go look at the dirt that doesn't move. That'll be the same way tomorrow. Nineteen. And another said, I have bought five yoke oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. What's wrong with that statement? You've already tried them out. You've already tried them out. Have you ever bought a tractor and never sat in it? Or a car? You always drive it, don't you? you You should drive it. Even with a Carvana now that uh, you can buy it online and it comes to you, but you got a month to try it out. If you don't like it, you send it back. So another excuse. Now here's the word. Women, please don't stone me on the the next one. Okay? i got to explain this to you. Okay? So please, be careful with me. And the next one is, and there's still another, I just got married and I can't come. In other words, my wife said I can't come. What's the problem with that? Back then, women... I'm just going to answer it. Back then, women didn't have the authority in the house to say, husband, you're not going to go. You didn't have that authority. That's the way it was back then. The man said, we're going to go to the wedding. You went to the wedding. And so, he had all these excuses, and they were all lame excuses. And I could just imagine the Pharisees and the all going, this is crazy. You would have went and looked at the field. You would have tried out the oxen and... For a husband not to let his wife rule the house? What's wrong with him? See all those excuses. Got it? it? Okay. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, and lame. Okay. Who are they? We'll get to it. This is, this is very important. This is what Jesus is trying to get across. Sir, the servant says, what you have ordered has been done, but there, there is still room. Then go out further. Go out to the roads of the country and lanes and compel them to come in for that my house, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who invited will taste my banquet. Ooh. Okay, let's dissect this one more. I'm going to back up a little bit. Dissect this and then we'll understand what was happening? Okay, so first of all, we had all these excuses. Okay. Excuses are searching for a way to justify behavior that a person does or does not want to do. We hear them all the time. Um, and in my 36 years of being a pastor, one of the things I've noticed that has changed in those that amount of time are the amount of excuses that people give. And what I mean is this, for bad behavior. It's always been here. I mean, uh, you get to Adam and Eve when they, sinned in the, when they sinned in Genesis chapter 3. What did Adam do? That woman that you gave me, God, it's your fault. She, and then what did the woman say? That serpent that you made. You know, they always blame someone else. But I've always noticed, I've noticed that, that we like to give excuses and justify our act, actions. For example, uh, we had a kid at my last church. We dealt with a lot of really rough kids in our last church. Had a kid at my last church, and he got angry and just causing all problems. I, I had it with him. I took him to the side room. I laid into him. You cannot act this way. He says, "I can't act this way. Why can't you?" Because I have anger issues. And I looked at him and says, "Have you been diagnosed with anger issues?" No. Have you been to a psychiatrist that told you had anger issues? No. Do you, have you been to a psychologist that says you have anger issues? No. Well, who said you have anger issues? My sister. You see, we look for situations like that to justify our behavior. Uh, PTSD is a big one that's around right now. And I look at and say, have you been diagnosed with PTSD? No. Have you gone to a psychiatrist? No. A doctor? No. A counselor? No. Then how do you know you have PTSD? I just know it. And so we look for these excuses to justify our behavior. Uh, I had PTSD one time. You know how I found out I had PTSD? A counselor told me. It was after the flood in Finley. I went two months of straight and then got work. And never 12, 14-hour days for two months finally got done. And then I became very angry, bitter. I was mad at the denomination. I was mad. I was ready to quit the ministry. I was so exhausted and everything else. And the counselor said, your problem is you got PTSD. I said, what does that mean? I said, that's only for uh, soldiers. No, 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 no. Just someone you go through something traumatic like that. So we look for excuses to justify behavior, to do what we do or do not want to do. Okay, Excuses are lies that attempt to rationalize behavior. And we've all done it. Let's be honest with you, we've all done it. Excuses can be in the form of self-deception that shades a person from reality. Like, I just gave you something. I have anger issues. Well, who told you that? My sister. You know? Um, did the kid need help? Definitely, yes, he didn't. He needed help. I'm not ex- excusing that, but I'm just saying he needed to get professional help, not a sister help. That was 13 years old. But it can be a form of self-deception. There will be a lot of people who will be at the pearly gates of Almighty God that will have the excuses and they've deceived themselves throughout life. Just just to be honest, there will be. Excuses do not alleviate the responsibility or the consequences for an action. Go to to the prosecutor, go to the judges and hear all the excuses that they listen to. Or police officers, listen to the excuses that does not alleviate the consequences of their actions. They still have to pay the price. Okay. So with that in mind, excuses will keep many from the kingdom of God. And, and that is true. Because we want to be the God of our own lives. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We want to shape God in the way we want because we don't want to change our lives. We don't want to change anything that we're doing. So we'll give these excuses. We rationalized what we were doing. And that's what was happening here. They were rationalizing, b- being rude to the master. By the way, in that culture, by, by disavowing a um, disavowing uh, an invitation, in some cultures in the Middle East, that was as rude as declaring war. Um... Okay, so who all has planned a wedding? Who all has planned a a reception of the wedding? What percentage of the people say they're going to come and don't show up? Too many. (laughs) That's right. But it's usually about one-third. It's usually about two-thirds will show up, one-third don't. So I tell these people, well, we invited 300 people to the wedding. You're going to have 200 that are going to show up. But they said they're coming. You're going to have 200 that are going to show up. That's the way it is. And in that culture, if you didn't do that, if you didn't show up, they'd become very angry. And that's a, a tantamount to war. Okay? Alright, let's get back to this. Yes. So let's go back and let's... Uh, uh, oh, and, and, Okay, so then what he said, he says, I want you to go then to the... I want you to go and get the bring in the poor, crippled, blind and lame. Remember what I said. Born the, uh, the uh, poor, crippled, blinded, mean, those are the type of people that the Jewish people would look at and say, God is against you. He says, go get them. Okay. Now, what this is, this is actually a picture of Kensington Street in Philadelphia. If you don't know anything about Kensington Street in Philadelphia, that is open drug street in Philadelphia. Any business on there has been destroyed, it's all drugs, You'll see people that have destroyed themselves on drugs and everything else. Uh, and um, a lot of the pictures, they're down like this, kind of just walking like this, uh, if they're clothed. I mean, it is, it is one of the saddest streets I've ever seen. And it's in Philadelphia. You can YouTube it. It's there. You'll see it. It'll make you sad and sad. What Jesus is saying is, go get these people. He was using the, 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 the homeless. He was the crippled, the crippled people and blind people living in the streets. You are to go get them in the lane we're living in the street. He says, go to Kensington Street and get these people. Does it add a little more to it? Get these people. So I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm on Hollywood Boulevard. If you want to see a lot of weird things, go to Hollywood Boulevard. You know where all the stars are? And then we last time I was there, here's this guy. He's kind of going up to the side of the street. A little. He went in the street about uh, three feet He's like this, pants are downless. He hadn't bathed in like in like uh, probably a month. And he was on high on drugs, not coming out, and everything else, it was just gross what was happening, and Jesus says, Go get those people. Go get those people. By the way, if you want to see a lot of interesting people come to the church.